Love and love is everything, man. We'll see y'all manana. Bye. Oh, my. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. Southland Industrial Electric has an important message for all our women listeners. Each year, many are diagnosed with breast cancer. However, if detected early, steps can be taken towards the prevention and treatment of cancer. Please schedule a mammogram today. That's Southland Industrial Electric, your licensed, bonded, and insured answer to residential, commercial, and industrial electric problems. No problem is too big or too small when you're dealing with power, and no hour is too late for an emergency. Call 661-718-8266. That's 661-718-8266. Southland and Industrial Electric can even install a complete new system. So call today for estimates. Come to Hooters where there's no such thing as a party of one. Located with a 60 and the 215 meet in Riverside, near Merino Valley. For more info, Google Hooters Riverside. There's only one thing you think of when you think of Hooters. Wings. Wait, what? With more styles, better flavors, and fresher wings, you could only be in the original American wing joint. Get them smoked, bacon-wrapped, original style, and now introducing new Roasted Wings. Roasted crispy to seal in the flavor and seal out half the calories. One taste and you'll think of nothing else. We'll see about that. Come to Hooters where there's no such thing as a party of one. Located with a 60 and the 215 meet in Riverside, near Merino Valley. For more info, Google Hooters Riverside. There's only one thing you think of when you think of Hooters. Hooters, the original American wing joint. Listen up, folks. Work injuries can be devastating and life-changing. If you were injured at work, you probably have a lot of questions. I'm attorney Daniel Rudbari, and I represent injured workers. Call me for your free consultation at 800-325-1454. I'll answer your questions and advise you on how to protect your right to make sure you get the workers' compensation benefits you may be entitled to. 800-325-1454. 800-325-1454. Come to Hooters where there's no such thing as a party of one. Located with a 60 and the 215 meet in Riverside, near Merino Valley. For more info, Google Hooters Riverside. There's only one thing you think of when you think of Hooters. Wings. Wait, what? With more styles, better flavors, and fresher wings, you could only be in the original American wing joint. Get them smoked, bacon-wrapped, original style, and now introducing new Roasted Wings. Roasted crispy to seal in the flavor and seal out half the calories. One taste and you'll think of nothing else. We'll see about that. Come to Hooters where there's no such thing as a party of one. Located with a 60 and the 215 meet in Riverside, near Merino Valley. For more info, Google Hooters Riverside. There's only one thing you think of when you think of Hooters. Hooters, the original American wing joint. If you're looking for a full or part-time sales position and you have radio, TV, or print media experience, KCAA has a great opportunity waiting for you that pays the highest commissions in the market. KCAA is the only station in the IE that broadcasts on three frequencies, so advertisers receive three ads for one low rate. This makes KCAA a must-buy for every local business. If you're interested in a sales position with us, email CEO at KCAARadio.com. 
Attention Medicare recipients and anyone turning 65, Medicare has approved new benefits not included with original Medicare and older Medicare Advantage plans. You may not be getting all of the benefits you're entitled to, including in-home aids, telephone appointments with your doctors, home-delivered meals and prescriptions. These benefits may be available and it's a free call to enroll. The new plans may also offer free eyeglasses, free hearing aids, free wellness visits, and gym memberships. Call the Medicare Benefits line now. It's easy. Call 800-518-2281. 800-518-2281. Find out if you're eligible for new benefits like meal and prescription delivery, in-home aids, and telemedicine. Some plans may have a $0 monthly premium or zero copays for big out-of-pocket savings. Not all Medicare Advantage plans are alike. The new plans have more benefits for many people. Call 800-518-2281. 800-518-2281. It's time to shop in the cool, relaxed comfort of the Tri-City Shopping Center in Redlands, conveniently located on the I-10 freeway between the Alabama and Tennessee exits. Bring the kids too and watch them play in the only indoor fun center, High Five Indoor Playground, where parents are welcomed on the playground. Birthday celebrations are encouraged, so make plans for some great fun at the mall. More reasons why the Tri-City Center is called the Mall with a Heart. K-C-A-A. Welcome to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show, created and hosted by Scott Knudsen, to explore the crossroads of horses and the business world. On today's show, Scott visits with Piper Clem, the owner and publisher of The Plaid Horse. Later on, Scott talks with author, journalist, and media consultant, Elizabeth McCall. Now, here's your host, Scott Knudsen. I am your host, Scott Knudsen, with a very special guest. She's an educator, she's an entrepreneur, and she has a PhD in chemistry. Popper Clem. Popper, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So you're very busy. So we're going to try and cover as much as we can in our short amount of time today. So so what, what kind of got you into the horse world and specifically into the hunter-jumper world? Um, I loved horses from the very beginning. I come from a non-horse family. My mom opened up the phone book and found a barn in the yellow pages when awesome. I was growing up. Um, we, I grew up on the East Coast, and it was a very um, English riding community. I don't think I knew anyone riding Western growing up. Um, and so that that influenced that. And I, I did pony club. And, and I think that was such a great experience because I got to do everything. I got to do dressage. I got to do three-day eventing and, and all different things, but um, kind of antithetical to my personality. I found my love in the hunter ring because I, I think it is such a challenge. Um, I'm not I'm not really type A in many other things. I'm kind of uh, like, let's make a mess type, <laughs> type B <laughs> um, person oh. who's, who's creative and, um, you know, not organized, but the hunters are just such a challenge because it's all about, perfection and beauty and organization and and i will do this my whole life and never you know never achieve it and that's really interesting to me that's so awesome i'm already off topic but um (laughs) it's so cool because people watching or listening today they 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 might not have a horse or even know where to start you just jumped in found a barn went to it went to the one of the hardest competitive classes there is 
Yep. And, um, and I, I keep, keep at it all the time because there's, I mean, you know, with the horses, like you think you have one thing figured out and oh, <laughs> they find yeah. something else to, Absolutely. It's to a challenge you with. That's so awesome. That's such a great story, you know, that you found your way into the industry. And that's, that's an inspiration to so many people that want to be in the industry. And now they may have heard from someone that can. So, um, so PhD, so you have a PhD in chemistry. So did you find chemistry or did chemistry find you? Um, a little bit of both. Um, I actually took a break from riding. Um, I, I didn't see a pathway for myself and I worked really hard and I was a working student and I was around, you know, immeasurable wealth at, as a teenager. And it's, it's hard to handle all that stuff sometimes. And right. we all know we have to be in the sport for the right reasons and for the horses. And I got to a point where, you know, I, I didn't see how to achieve that for myself. And then I had a lot of pressures uh, for traditional education, um, both my parents are professors. They never really, they supported me, but they never really understood the horse thing. They didn't see how that could translate into a career. And, um, and so that's something I'm really passionate now is like showing people real jobs and real careers and, and real ways to be part of this sport that, that are attainable for people. Um, so I took a break in college and grad school, um, collegiate riding wasn't what it is now. I mean, I, I think the opportunity that has come up since I was at age would have changed my life between the emerging athletes program. Like we have so much stuff. And then with social media, you have access to, to knowledge, but, but I, I didn't really see how to get the knowledge that I didn't have. And, um, you know, I, I, I didn't, I honestly, I didn't see that if I put the years in, it would have been there for me. And that's also something I really want to counsel young people about is that, that it is there for you and you do have to put the years in, but it can be there for you. Um, and, and I just didn't see that at that age. So I took a break and I really focused on school and all the same things that make you a great horse person, make you excel academically, yes. you know, that discipline. Um, I never procrastinated, you know, I, I would look around and like, no, you can't procrastinate at the barn if you don't right. get your stuff done. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you can't dawdle around the barn. And when you apply that to life skills with other people who, you know, aren't as good at just kind of rallying themselves and getting, <laughs> getting moving, um, you know, it, it's, these are all skills that we use all the time in the, in the real world. And, right. and the horses are very unforgiving. And when you apply that somewhere else, it, it's not hard to excel academically. Right. It, it, it applies to different businesses for sure. And, and but it, it's, it's just getting something done and, and doing the steps every single time. And you can't skip a step, whether you're training yep. a horse or you're doing something else in the business world. So yep. that, that's and, so cool. And science is the same way and, and going out there and forging with the unknown, you know, doing research and trying to get peer-reviewed publications, like it, a lot of it's the same puzzle process as making up a young horse and going to the barn. That's so cool. The correlation there. That's so awesome. So, so you teach three classes yep. is that correct? At, at Clarkson. Yep. So, so if somebody is watching this, they're like, man, I really want to get in the industry. I really want to learn from Piper. How can I do it? So how would they find you and kind of, let's talk a little bit about your classes if you can yeah. Um, so the plaid horse, um, I'm the publisher of the print magazine and we do a weekly podcast. Um, so we have a lot going on there. And, um, for many years I supervised interns. Um, it was always a big part for me giving back and, and all of these things that we talked about really making people see 
how they can be part of the industry and how they can make it work for themselves. Um, and so over time, I, I started to miss teaching, doing the plaid horse all the time. And then with the interns, I, I got to a point where honestly, I really wanted to assign them to do the reading. I would give them readings and stuff. And <laughs> oh man! <laughs> I wanted them to, you know, and, and I get it. Like school always comes first and these kids are so burning the candles at both ends and, and they're working so hard and so much on their plate and like what gets cut well, the reading you're doing for fun. I get it. Um, and I thought, you know, if we can legitimize what they're doing into an actual class, it helps legitimize what they're doing into an actual career. Um, so I started working with Clarkson and they have a great entrepreneurship program and they've been really open, um, to it. I came with this grand idea, um, and, They've never had any classes in their history that are just open to everyone. Um, and I said, that's a deal breaker for me. These have got to be open to assistant trainers or parents. We get a Absolutely. lot of parents sign up. Um, we have students in high school, a couple talented middle schoolers, and, and really like start this process at a, at a different stage. And of course, we have current college students and transfer students, um, students getting transfer credit. But you know, really making it open to everyone, legitimate, hard, valuable college courses and addressing all the things that I see real world in the industry. And like I, I buy and sell horses. I have a lease business um, for pony hunters. Like I am out there, um, you know, aside from current times, I typically go to 50 horse shows a year um, of all different levels. I'm out there doing it and it's hard because academia respects people with academic credentials and there are very few horse people with academic credentials. Right. And, and that gap is hard to bridge explaining to academics why they should respect horse people that do not have credentials that they respect. Um, and so I really saw this as a way that we can, we can validate all of the hard work so many young people do at the barn, but it's hard, it's hard to, convey that on a college application. It's hard to, um, you know, get people to, who have a certain value system. Academics have a very specific value system, you know, putting it in right. their language so that they can value the entire investment that, that people are making in horses. I, I think, you know, it, it's one step towards bridging that gap. Absolutely. It's a, it's a big step. And I think it can't be bridged because I know the universities want to educate and people that are out there in the field can help do that. And then you have two people of knowledge helping that one person. It, it just makes sense. Yep. It, it, it is so important for not only our industry, but just education in general. That's where I start getting excited because I love people that want to learn and then progress their, their careers. And, and I think by doing what you're doing is so important and, and, and using not working with interns, but also just going to the educational side. Yep. Yep. And I still like, I have open office hours um, that people can schedule time to meet awesome. with me. Um, you know, I really believe that people starting businesses and they have questions. Um, we, we deal so much in kind of coded language in the horse industry and there's stuff that like everyone knows ostensibly, but like, there's no way to find that information. And there's so much stuff that I know that I'm not, I don't know enough to write an article, but I know, you know, right. Um, and, and so, um, you know, I really think office hours, class, all of this stuff are valuable times to share that knowledge that I'm happy to share, but you know, it's not going to withstand to, you know, <laughs> a lawyer right. read or going up on the website. 
Well, it's so good for somebody to be able to go into your office or call you or take a class and you're out there doing it and still apply to the college. That's wonderful that they're doing that. And, and you know, our industry is so huge, but people are, don't know how to get in. And, 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 and like you, they looked in the yellow pages, there's ways to get in and they might take your class. That might be the toe in the water, so to speak, to get them to get into the industry. Absolutely. And when I was growing up, you know, I subscribed to the Chronicle and Practical Horsemen and stuff, but I, it, it never occurred to me how the magazines got put together. And yeah. that's such a, yeah. you know, but it, it never occurred to me that someone is doing every step of this magazine process. And I think that we obsess over who's riding or who's, you know, training, but we don't always show people all the different careers and options of how many vendors and course designers and stewards and braiders and grooms and, and how many people are at the horse show. Yeah, it's, it's an incredible feat. It's not just a trainer. Like you say, it's, it's, you know, the photographers and there's so many ways to get into the industry and be successful and, and doing the classes with you and, and talking to other people that are successful in the industry. That's the way to get in and be successful for sure. Um, so Piper, so tell us a little bit more. So we're talking about getting people into the industry and I love that. And I love that. I know that's one of your passions is to bring people into the industry and educate them and help them find their way. So, so where do you uh, find people that are coming into the industry? Is it just different, uh, different, uh, avenues, different people? Yeah, I, I think, and I think this is a scary point for our industry. I think, mm -hmm. Um, the older generation got their start at pony rides and, right. um, you know, driving by the barn and, and having barns kind of and horses exist in daily life a little bit more, maybe knowing someone who rides. Um, we're a very siloed community right now. Land prices, you know, there's so many factors have driven barns further and further away from cities. Most people live in cities. You know? um, right, right. This is a challenge. Um, most people are not going by a horse farm on their way to school or work and, and might get interested. Right. Um, there are fewer and fewer pony rides and riding academies and less in barns and, and fewer places starting people. So um, I, I think that is something scary that we, we all need to be cognizant of. Um, one of the things that I think also so many people quit riding. Um, I quit riding. I didn't see where things were going. Um, you know, I came back, some people come back, some people don't. Um, but you know, really talking to people, having that support group and making people feel welcome is, has been huge. And I've talked to so many people over the years, that um, we do a ton of articles on everyone is welcome, like no matter what you look like. You know, no those are great. Those are what great. you have, yeah, going on. And and so many people have come up to me over the years of, you know, I I, I was afraid to come back to riding, but but your communities and stuff made me feel really supported to come back. And you you do a quick back of the envelope calculation. And, you know, when, when someone's not riding at all, <laughs> they're not buying anything. They're not anything. buying helmets. They're not buying saddles and bridles and britches and, and all this stuff. And e even the occasional rider is, is buying all the gear. Um, the person who gets swept back up in it, it's, as we all know, easy to spend a fortune in this sport. Absolutely it is. And that sustains everyone. It sustains the, the trainers and the horse shows and the vets and the farriers and the blacksmiths. And every aspect of our sport is sustained by every person who comes back in. So I think really making, we can all go out of our way to make everyone feel welcome Absolutely. in this sport. Um, I think we, 
are traditionally bad at that as horse people. <laughs> Absolutely. There's a lot, um, there's a lot of unwelcoming tendencies that, that I think are bred in the competition environment um, that are just not necessary. We're all fighting our own battles. <laughs> like yeah. our biggest competitor is ourselves. Um, yeah. It's uh, each other is not the competition here. Um, so I think keeping people in the sport is huge. And then welcoming people as you can, as you see opportunities, if you're at work and you can invite your work colleagues or your school friends or anybody out to the barn. Um, I encourage everyone to come out to the barn. People I can get out to the barn. I encourage everyone to go for a pony ride. <laughs> um, I'm really all about, um, you know, getting people in whatever safe vehicle as involved as they can. Cause I, I found that a lot of people just need that one ride or one or two rides and they're like oh this is you know and that's the equivalent of the pony ride from the last generation but like it doesn't matter if you give a pony ride to a 50 year old woman and she starts riding like that's amazing for the sport that's awesome that's, um, that's awesome and like my um my mom has never ridden and she always kind of wanted to and um i never really had the right horse and stuff for her so she actually came out to the barn in april and my horse is at an age and a maturity level that he was ready for that. And, um, she's 74 and she rode him around at the walk. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and, and she's like, I, she's like, I want a horse show. Um, <laughs> there's one horse show that has an adult walk class and she's like, I want to do it. Um, that is you, just, great. you think about how much horses give all of us. I want everyone to have that. And we should all want yeah. everyone to have that. And how, how can we get them more into our lives? And, and even if they're not riding, can you get people out to the barn to groom or be around horses or, right. you know, pet them? You know, I, I think it's, it's, we all want to make grand things. And I think the most, if everyone could do a simple gesture, it would make like a huge difference in our, in our sport. It, it really will. We have people that come out to the house. They don't want to ride at all, but they want to take pictures or, yeah. or they want like being around it, you know, and that's great. You know, just come on and do it and encourage them. And who knows, they might show up at a show and, and enjoy it and do more, you know, so it's For so sure. I had the opportunity to ride with um, Brianna Noble, who's the Oakland cowgirl, and she took me into Oakland <laughs> riding. And so we had the that's horse cool. trailer. We had the horse trailer parked on the side of the street and unloaded the horses in this neighborhood and people came out of their homes in the neighborhood and wanted to pet them. And just like you said, take pictures of the horses. Some of them were a little afraid, you know, because they were so big and then kind of got over that and took pictures and to be part of the community is, is amazing. And, and things like that, I, I think are so cool and, and people trying to get the horses where the people are because cities right. are where people, you know, predominantly live in this country. And, and so, you know, you bring them out into Muhammad at some level. Absolutely. You do. Uh, absolutely. That's really cool. That had to be a cool experience. It was unbelievable. Yeah. You know, in, in the Bay area there, we rode up on the, the ridges and the hills and looked over the whole San oh, Francisco awesome. Bay and it was unreal. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. So the plaid horse, let's talk about the plaid horse. So it's a podcast, you have your magazine, your classes, you know, plaid horse backslash class. So can you tell us a little bit about it and what it encompasses? Yep. Um, so the plaid horse existed before um, I bought it. I bought it in two, um, it 
was established in 2003 and I bought it in 2014. Um, this was, I didn't know what I was doing at all. Uh, <laughs> at jumped all. In. I jumped in. Um, the day I bought it, I called my parents and my dad was like, you realize print is dying, right? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and I was oh. like, um, and you know, he's not wrong on the general sense um, and the general trend since then. But um, I started, um, I so when I finished my PhD, I was really burned out and, and I, I decided that I was gonna do something to not be burned out. And everyone asked me what I wanted to do. And I hadn't even been to a horse show in a while, but I was like, you know, I'm going to go to Thermal for the entire winter circuit and not do anything. Um, and cause I had like been to pieces of circuits in the past, but I knew there was something that you're missing by just not seeing the whole thing that start to finish. And I just wanted to see it. And everyone thought I was crazy. And my then boyfriend, now husband <laughs> was like, sure, whatever. <laughs> um, I was like, I'll see you in eight weeks. Bye. <laughs> um, and so I, um, rented a little place and I went down there and, um, by the end of the first week I was bored to tears. I'd never really lived on the West coast. I didn't know anyone. And, um, you know, I was like, watch the horse show, but you know, again, when you, when it's not personal, it's a totally different experience. So, right. Right. um, and I had no like purpose and, and I happened to be on Facebook and someone posted like that one of the publications was looking for someone to cover the Grand Prix. And I'd never done any journalism like that, but I was like, well, I can do that. Why not? Um, and, and it was a complete light bulb moment when I talked to the Grand Prix riders, because I'd been looking for this knowledge and this education my whole life. And all these people were like, oh my God, annoying, annoying girl, please leave me alone. Um, and, and instead it was like, Oh, of course I want to talk to you about why I did five strides instead of six strides in that line. Like, of course I want to talk to the press and it, and I was like, oh, this is education. Like other people are viewing this as something else, but like my education lens, I was like, this is how we bring education to the people. Social media was just getting started. And I started working with other people and quickly found that I don't, you know, as with most things in my life, I'm <laughs> not great at working with other people because I have my own ideas on how things should be. <laughs> right. And um, I really, I, I saw something and I couldn't totally explain it to other people. And even when I could explain it, I couldn't get it across to other people. And so other people in the industry kept saying, social media is just a fad, like little girl, you don't know anything about marketing. And on paper, I didn't, you know, I'm coming from my chemistry PhD and, and, um, you know, I had no way of knowing what social media was or wasn't, but, but right. I, I saw this as an educational place. Um, so as I did that more, I figured that, you know, okay, I, I need my own thing, um, whatever that means, like, but I can't, I, I have my own ideas and my own vision and how I want to handle this. Other people don't fit in great with that. Um, and so I also, but I also like looked like I was 12. So I was like, <laughs> I need something that has a little longevity behind it. Otherwise I'm really going to struggle. Makes um, so I started calling around and, um, for websites, magazines, all kinds of things. Um, I was mostly looking for a website. Um, and the woman who on the plaid horse, um, 
answered her phone. I called around and asked who owned it. Someone gave me her phone number. I cold called her and I didn't read anything into it at all. When I was like, would you sell it? And she was like, yeah, yes. <laughs> I, I love um, that about you so much that you just go for it and you find your way. And um, it was so fast. I, I want to say that like from the initial call to due diligence being done was like five or six weeks. Like, wow, that's great. I had no idea, like, and then I owned a magazine and I had like five weeks to put out an issue and I had no idea what I was doing. Oh my goodness. Um, so on the business side of things, um, I bought the magazine with a mortgage, um, from the previous owner. So I made a small down payment and then I paid monthly, um, payments until she was completely paid off. Um, and I interject that to say that this stuff is possible. And I knew that that was possible with her because I asked her, you know, I said, this is what I have to put down right now. Um, but I'm, I'm happy to work with the price that you want to work with overall. You know, how do we make this work for both of us? Um, and she was amenable to that. And some people would be, and some people wouldn't be, you know, and that that's fair. Um, so I, um, so then I have this magazine and I just had to figure it all out and, and everything was so hard because I didn't know what I was doing. I tried not to change too much because the magazine wasn't losing money and I knew that I could easily <laughs> lose money. You know, somebody, it was back sure, on newspaper sure. print, you know, there were a lot of it was black and white and everyone was like, make it glossy, go color. And I was like, no, 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 <laughs> we're, we're figuring <laughs> out how every aspect of this works before we're changing things. Um, so it was a little slow going in the beginning and, and slowly, um, over time we built the websites and the social medias and, and all of our educational platforms. We published books. Um, we published the first three of, um, my show strides book series with Renny Dieball. Um, and those are for young equestrians. And again, they're, they're fun fiction reads for middle grade readers. Um, but they're also based on my values. There's no mean girl there's no there's so no we're not yeah we're not bullying any one girl because she's rich or because she's poor or she's different um right. it's all about how hard this sport is and and working through that as we all do so it, it's turned into so many great things we have a nice um team now that's that's managing other people did not come naturally to me that took me a long time sure. um to get get the right team in together um, I realized that I had my own business because I didn't want anyone to tell me what to do, but I also had no interest in telling other people <laughs> what to do. Funny how that works. Uh, um, so that, that's been like a very, very acquired non-native skill for me. Um, and I'm like, just do your job. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it works. It is a great magazine. Even if you're in other industries within the, the horse world, you can still read it and pick up tips and see attitudes. And, and I love it. I, I was on there yesterday or today, like yesterday, reading it and looking at different stories. And, and, and some of it just flows to other, other parts of the industry. And, yep, uh, yep. But it's really well done for sure. Thank For you. Sure. And, and we believe horses are universal and everyone's Absolutely. welcome and, and will find their place in the industry and where, wherever that place is for you. Um, that's what's important. And the classes are the same thing. It's not about this is right or this is wrong. It's these are the options and you pick what makes the most sense for your life and your family and your circumstances. This was so great.
That's so great. That's why I have so much passion about our industry because it, it is so big. You can find your way if you really want to find your way. And there are Absolutely. people like you out there and, and, and that want to help them do that. So that's go so great. So, so let's talk about another entrepreneur vision, um, lease ponies. Yeah, I, I thought this was so cool. Do you mind just talking a little bit about that? Oh, absolutely. So my parents are both business professors. And while they didn't understand the horse thing, they thought that I should learn something um, about this. And so before I got my first pony, I had to give them a business presentation of awesome. how the pony was going to work financially and, and all that stuff. Um, and my parents being non-horse parents got me an unbroke two-year-old. Um, oh my goodness. <laughs> and um, so that was like kind of the, <laughs> the most rough part of the plan. Yeah. Um, but I made a whole presentation on portfolio. I kept track of every expense, mileage to the barn, every blanket, every shoe, every everything. And then my parents completely let me decide what was going on, which is really cool. Cause I see so many young people that have helicopter parents and my parents let me choose like what barn I rode at and, you know, a lot of the schedule and the planning and the horse shows and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and so I, I made this pony up over like years, like, you know, this <laughs> shouldn't, none of these steps should take this long, but like everything <laughs> took me like a year. <laughs> Put some time and thought into um, it. Yeah. I didn't know what I was doing, but I figured, you know, if I, I wanted it. So if I spent enough time at it, but we'd figure it out and, and we did. Um, and so she started going to shows. I showed her in the breeding classes and then, you know, I was the first one to ride her and for first jump, first everything and, and got her up to the green ponies. And then, um, my parents let me do whatever I want. And I started leasing her out and leasing wasn't really a big thing back then. Um, and I looked at it of like the back of the envelope is ponies lease for a third of their value a year. I was like, well, in three years, um, I could still own her and have the money. Um, leasing is a lot more complicated than that. Um, we learned, you know, so many things like, um, <laughs> You know, the, you know, you, you want them with a great trainer and in great care, of course, but, uh, you know, on our first lease, two weeks into the lease, the people got kicked out of the barn oh, no. and didn't tell us. And then we didn't, again, just, it wasn't in writing. It wasn't in the contract that they had to approve the next barn. <laughs> um, you know, all these things you learn along the way that you'll never sure. make that mistake again. Sure. Um, so, you know, it was, it was a little bump and go in the beginning and, um, and then she started being a really good pony and getting a reputation and um, continuing to get leases. And um, I actually still own her to this day. Very cool. Um, and she uh, kind of goes around as, as people need her. She's at um, a lovely barn right now where unfortunately they had a, a barn fire and lost a lot of their animals. And so she's there, you know, hanging out and, um, and making people smile and, and get helping them put their business back together. Um, I think she is 23 this year. So she's um, a therapy horse yep. as well. Yep. Yep. Very and cool. she's always been a therapy horse for me too. Um, awesome. my mom was in the world trade center on September 11th. Oh, and wow. So she was there with me the whole time, you know, when we were waiting and waiting to hear and all that kind of stuff. So she, she's really special. 
and um, then as I got through grad school, I was like, you know, horses make you stupid. I was like, oh, I can do this again. <laughs> I'm such a genius. <laughs> um, so I decided to get another lease pony. Um, and I, I learned a lot really quickly. Um, and I ended up getting a few more. And um, again, it was it was touch and go in the beginning. I mean, I think there are many moments it could have sunk us, but um, somehow held on and slowly built something up. And um, at times I've had as many as 16 or 17 ponies right now. Um, the market's pretty strong and, and I don't have as many, but um, it's been great to be out there and be part of the community and what people are looking for and how that all shifts over time and being part of the young animals. And one of the things I think is really cool is I've bred um, a couple here and everyone tells me, oh, you need to buy them in Europe. You can't afford to do it here. And we figured out ways, um, my business partner and the ponies, Emily Alec and I, um, and she is the trainer and, and she does all the hard pony stuff, but together we've strategized ways to bring the pony market all the way to fruition in the US, which I think is awesome, awesome. because when you're breeding here, you're supporting everyone. You know, you are supporting the vets, you are supporting the farriers, you're growing your people when they're in the US their whole lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so cool that you do that. And what you said about the therapy horse too, I, I think that's another area that we could really as an industry do, do better in, you know, there's so many families are going through something that that's not great, but there's a horse out there that would be perfect um, for them to make them kind of get away for five or 10 minutes or an hour a day, just enjoy that horse. Absolutely. I think people get so wrapped up in themselves and the people around them and you know it's, it's sometimes the people around you are so much more exhausting than you are to yourself and and the horses just make you stop you know you can't you can't play on your phone you can't um you know you have to it, it, i think it comes back to that procrastinating part like you right. have to go in and get stuff done at the barn they need something too and it's, it's just a completely different you know relationship and i think so many people are feel unable to stop in today's world and the horses kind of force them to Absolutely. get off the screen and, and, and live with themselves a little bit. I think it's so great. It's, it's medicine for me. You know, they, they force you to focus on them, but once you do it just for a minute, then you don't want to stop. It's just <laughs> addicting, you know, so that, that's wonderful. So, so this is so great and I hate to cut it, but um, I know we're running out of time, but so how can people find you? Um, as far as the classes or, or the lease ponies or the plaid horse itself? Um, you can find the plaid horse at thepladhorse.com. Um, all the college stuff launches off of thepladhorse.com slash college. So it's really easy to find there. Um, and you can find the ponies and most issues of the magazine. That's awesome. Thank you for listening to the Cowboy Entrepreneur Show. Scott will be right back with Elizabeth McCall. I'm your host, Scott Knutson. Little bit different show today, and we have a very special guest. Our guest is Elizabeth, Elizabeth McCall, which I've known for many years, and so excited to have Elizabeth on the show. She's a writer. She's written her own book. She wrote for the LA Times, Hollywood Reporter, and most recently, Cowboy and Indians Magazine. Almost said Cowboy Entrepreneur, but Cowboy and Indian Magazine. And I'm so glad she's here. Also, we're colleagues, and she's based in Los Angeles. Elizabeth, thank you for being on the show today. 
Oh, it's a treat, Scott. You know, I'm glad to see you there back in back in the studio, especially uh, after the last few weeks. Absolutely. Right. It's a good spot to be for sure. I uh, thank you so much. So what we're going to do today is something a little bit different. I'm going to hand over the reins to Elizabeth. She's going to ask me some questions. In case you haven't heard, we had a a, uh, a disaster in Texas, a winter disaster, and it was the first time in 75 to 80 years, they say, that's happened. So uh, so it, it, we just want to answer some questions and hopefully uh, have some entertainment as well. So Elizabeth, take the show away. All right. <laughs> well, you know, Scott, yeah, I was following the weather there and I, you knew it was coming, you know? I mean, if, for anybody that doesn't know, Scott's got the Lightning K Ranch there in the hill country of Texas. And uh, he's fifth generation Texan. So it's no surprise when weather's coming, he gets ready for it. And, you know, we were talking about a little bit, we had a show actually scheduled he was supposed to do, which I set up a lot of those. And uh, he got in touch with me the day before and he said, you know, I don't know, I hate to cancel, but you know, our internet's going in and out. And I said, Let, let's change it. Well, things started going from there. And I started following the weather, weather from here in LA. It was uh, daunting. And although, you know, I've come to know Scott well enough that if somebody's going to get through something, he's resourceful. I mean, this is the guy that got hit in the head with lightning and out of his hand, you know, and, and relearned to read and write among other things. Uh, and so I really, you know, I thought if anybody's going to make it through, certainly, you know, as the reports kept coming in and the dramatic things on television, I, I was really assured that you would. Um, however, one day then I got a photograph from you with your coffee maker outside on a plastic bucket hooked up to a generator with snow around it. And I thought, well, wouldn't you know, he likes his coffee. <laughs> uh, but things changed from there, didn't they? They, they really did, and, and that was within the first couple of days. When we started getting really short of water, um, no more coffee, you know, and, and that was just a comfort to kind of warm up. And, and uh, by, you know, the fifth through the eighth day, there was no coffee. It was just strictly water the horses. That's what we were concerned with. You know, the first time you sent me a couple of texts here and there and, you know, we're, we're doing okay or, you know, we don't have this or that. But when we actually talked last week and you were saying, well, you know, we were in survival mode, but then we started talking about some details. I said, what does that mean? People, everybody's got, you know, oh, they're in survival mode, but really what does that mean when you're in that kind of situation? You were totally cut off. Absolutely. You know, we, we were prepared, we thought, you know, we were prepared for a normal winter storm. Uh, Which means what? What did you have ready? Yeah, so, you know, we had the firewood, we had the water, we had, you know, extra feed and hay for the horses. Everybody, you know, from the front gate to the back fence was covered. We had extra. And, uh, but this was a storm like no storm in almost a century. And when it came in, we knew it was going to be bad. We didn't know how bad. And uh, when, when it came in, you know, we were okay the first couple of days. We knew it was going south really quick. It was getting really bad. And uh, my wife and I made a, a decision to, um, our daughter was here with us and she was helping us. And we really wanted her not to experience the mental part of it because we knew it was going to be bad. We didn't know what was going to happen. So um, uh, we, we uh, made it to town. We had to cross a power line in front of our gate. There was a power line that did drop. Tell, yeah, tell them about that. So, you, so we, looked, was, we were headed out, you know, and, and she wanted, my daughter wanted to stay. She's as tough as nails. But, um, you know. 16, right? 16? 16 and, and beautiful and, and been a ranch. I mean, straight cowgirl. Uh, but, you know, we just thought that would be better for her mentally. 
Plus, if she's in town, she can calm some other, help some other people in town, which she did. She went to other homes and helped them. Uh, but as we're headed out the gate, there was a power line that dropped right in front of our, our gate into the ground. And it, I knew it was neutralized because it was flush. It was ground. It was tired. How do you know it's neutral? How? How did you know? Because it was grounded. It was touching ground. So it was grounded. Oh. So I knew, and I knew I could drive over with my rubber tires on the truck. And, but I, went, I wanted to make sure, since I had my wife and daughter, so we got some pictures, I was able to send them. This is day two before it got really bad. And uh, they said it was a neutral line. So we were safe. So I drove over it. And we made it to town. I took my daughter to a place in town, and that night they had to move because their power went out. But we made it back to the ranch, and then right after that, it really got hairy for the next six days, and uh, we were trapped on the ranch. Uh, no electricity, no water because we're on a well. Um, cell phones went out. So it was pretty much um, survival. And, uh, you know, we have a couple of friends that work for the volunteer fire department. They, they didn't hear from us after a few days, and they came to check, and we were able to run our mule up to the front gate and we cut off the barrel top with a chainsaw and use the water hose from the fire truck to use that to water the horses. And, and uh, the fire departments were overrun. One of the fire departments out here, a volunteer fire, they had 200, phone, uh, 200 calls in eight days. And, and this is what, what, the, what town is this? Or? That was Willow City, the fire department. And then Willow? Willow City. Okay. Uh -huh. And then there was Stonewall and Doss and just all these fire departments were just going at it, just trying to help people. And uh, they called me and said, would you go do a wellness ranch check on this place? We haven't seen them. Well, I was headed out. This was day three. And that's when our, our next electric pole busted. And, and the alive electric line dropped in front of the uh, gate. When it did, it lifted the other one. So we had two, you know, two electrical lines and bumper high. So it raised it. So I couldn't get out. And uh, we were trapped. And you know, you got family you're concerned about, you have friends you're concerned about, our daughter, we were totally, it was just my wife and I. And after about the third day, we were on the defensive the whole time and mother nature was on the offensive, you know, and she was giving it to us pretty hard. And uh, you know, my wife and I, we looked at each other and said, we're either gonna live or die. And there was unfortunately some deaths, you know, people died, livestock died, you know, really close to us. and. Uh, we just flipped the script. We were like, we're going to be on the offensive. So in the morning, we'd wake up, and this is what we're going to do to live today and take care of our ranch. And at night, before dark, before all the candles came out, um, we made a decision what we're going to do for that night to get through it. And we wanted to be ahead of Mother Nature no matter what it, it brought to us. So what uh, did that mean? You were telling me that... You were up what? You were setting alarms at night? Yeah, we set the alarm all night for an hour and 15 minutes. That was our one of our plans was we would put a log on the fire and we would go down to the barn and we would end up walking because we wanted to save the gas on the mule. And exactly. we walked down there, which is half a mile. And and we would half hail, a mile each yeah, way? Mile. Yeah, and we'd we'd pay all the horses, pay the goat, check on the ch chicken, pig, everything. We were checking them. Um, keep because we wanted to keep them engaged. We didn't want them to lay down and be too cold. Also, it was a great way to monitor the hay output, the grain output. So we give them a little bit, a lot, as opposed to a lot, and let them, you know. So we kept them engaged. We we managed our our feed output, and uh, that seemed to work. And we didn't lose any livestock. We were really blessed there, um, and it kept us engaged. And by day five, six, seven, and eight. 
all the firewood we had stored up, even the ones we had cut, had ice on it, two inches or so. My wife would be using a hammer to knock the ice off. And then we the the firewood? Yeah, on the firewood. And then we would put it in the living room because in our house it was 26 degrees. Um, the wind chill outside was negative 15. And, and you know, I, people up north, that, that's just a normal winter. But down here, we're just not built that way as far as our, our barns and our houses and, and, and our infrastructure. So uh, uh, we would put the logs on the fire and it would kind of smoke, but it was better than not having any heat. And we just worked together as a team. So what were you doing for food? I mean, you told me your what, the wet wipe, the wet wipes froze? Oh yeah, the wet wipes froze in the living room, you know, and that was just terrible. And, uh, you know, for food, we had some things here, um, but we really couldn't cook because we didn't want to waste our propane, and that was about all we had. Um, we did have a water source. We would boil the water on our propane stove, sanitize it best we could. Um, this was from where, the pool? Yes, from the pool. And uh, so we were boiling that water, and that was some of our water. Um, my wife was inventive, and she said, I can, I can uh, make toast over the campfire. And then she figured out a way to make popcorn on, on the propane, so on the propane stove. So we were just being creative. We, wanted, we had to eat, too. So we were being creative on ways what we could do. Um, and, you know, we didn't want to mess up a lot of dishes because that, we couldn't clean them. So um, we just had to be really inventive. And, and, and thank goodness I have a great partner, um, strong, and, uh, you know, because we just relied on each other. The limbs were so heavy, you know, we, we trimmed the limbs around our house, around our barn, but they were so heavy they were just dropping. And if you can imagine 100 milk jugs full on a limb, it's just going to push it down. So we would rope the limbs around the house or around the fence line and we would shake it. My wife would climb up on the ladder while I was roping and we were knocking ice. Roping? Roping? Like? Yeah, rope the limbs because they were so cool. And I would shake it so the ice would hopefully pop off and come back up. And if it wouldn't, we'd just cut that limb with a chainsaw. And it seemed to work, you know, because we were afraid if these limbs fall on our house, we're really not going to be warm. It's going to break a window or break a corner of the roof off, and we didn't want to take that chance. We did lose some fencing. Some horses got scratched up, but they're healing up now, so that, that's great. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of neighbors that lost livestock just due to the limbs falling on. It was so heavy, and, uh, some, you know, it just it, it unfortunately hurt some livestock. Yeah, you sent me some photos that you could icicles. You could even see them in the photos from a, a phone of the icicles coming off a, a wire or a line, and then the trees. And what did you tell me? It's about three fourths of your trees were bit damaged on the property. Yeah, yeah, but almost eighty-five, ninety percent are damaged or broken in half, just from either the wind or the the, the weight of the um, ice and snow. So um, lots of cleaning up to do in the pasture and and. Uh, you know, what we're going to do is spin it positive, and, and we were going to lift some of these trees anyway, and and uh, they look it's going to look good once we get it all cleaned up. And, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like right now, the limbs are brown, the leaves are brown, and it's kind of like seeing a, a, a field that's been burned, except instead of fire, it was freezer burn. And that's what it looks like. So, you know, I was making a joke with my wife yesterday and a couple of the guys that ride out here that we probably won't ever have to duck under a limb for a long time. 
good one. <laughs> I thought about that. Yeah, I just, it seems incredible, I think, for people that live in so many parts of the country, even the world, to really, you know, and I appreciate you being so open about this because it's one thing when somebody goes, oh, you know, we had to fight for survival. But when you really share the details of what that means, it adds another dimension. Uh, I mean, even even just now, before we started talking, you were telling me, you know, you're in the process of cleaning up some of these broken things, and you said you've got a pole saw. Some of these oh, things yeah. I've never heard of. Tell me. Yeah, we, we have got pole saws that are 25, 30 feet tall. We're going to clean some of the top trees because there's still limbs that are dead that are hanging at the top of these trees that just haven't fell yet. And I don't want an animal or family member or friend to be underneath it when it does. So. Uh, we got some pole saws. We got some more chainsaws coming out. And but for uh, anybody that doesn't know what a pole saw is, just describe it a little more. It's, so it, it, you can extend it up to about 30 feet. It, they're really long. And, and uh, it looks like a chainsaw on the end of a 30-foot pole, and you got the trigger on your hand. So <laughs> it's kind of a cool feeling, to tell you the truth. You know, so. Is it like a fishing rod? <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's a lot more sturdy, and it's, it's heavy. And you just go up there, and you can clean way up in that tree. So, uh, But you're on uh, the ground, right, when you're, you're doing You're on it? the ground, yeah. And you have to hang on to this thing and not let it get uh, loose? Yeah, hold it up. Don't drop it and cut. And we got chainsaws and we have fence building equipment and uh, the tractor and the mule are out, you know, so we're just cleaning up and working and, and uh, fixing things up. And I'll tell you what, the volunteer fire departments out here are so strong. You know, we're surrounded by six or seven of them and I can't say enough about them. They just uh, really worked hard and they stayed positive. And I, one of them told me something, one of the guys, he actually interns here and he, he works here and he runs the ranch when I'm on the road speaking. And uh, he just said, you know, you go up to some of these ranches and if the people are not, you can't be in a good mood, but you can be in a positive mood. You can be in a winner's mindset mind. But people that are that, that way, that are thinking, we're gonna be on the offensive, we're gonna get through this, they just seem to do better health-wise, ranch-wise, their livestock. The people who were down saying, oh, we're not going to make it or make it about them and that we're a little bit more depressed, had a lot harder time. And I just, you know, I think that's the way it is with everybody day to day. You know, whether you're going through a winter storm in the middle of, of a pandemic on top of it or whether, you know, whatever yeah, it is. I'm in the pandemic. That yeah. mindset. And uh, I think that helped us out. But they were great. It, um, Electric companies. We had electric companies from Florida, South Texas were up here helping, and and that was really? great to see. Yeah, it was wonderful to see it. And uh, how did you know they were from there? Did they have trucks or something? They had trucks all over the all over the county, and uh, you know we pull them over, pull them over when they were pulled over. You know we didn't want to slow them down, but we definitely wanted just to roll down our window and say thank you, and that's what we did, and see if they needed something to drink and. Let them, let them do their job. Not slow them down because they're helping other people, but um, let them know it's appreciated to come all this way to help. And uh, I thought that was really cool how, how they did jump in. Um, you know, and, and, and town, you know, town was amazing. Uh, ran out of gasoline, ran out of propane. Which diesel. town? What's the town? Fredericksburg. And That's some great. of the other towns around here. Just because uh, the, pe the normal usage, trucks couldn't get to town. And then the people that were in town that needed propane, there wasn't enough, or, or gas. And uh, not to any of the store owners' fault, it was just, it was a crisis deal, you know? And we just all had to pull together. It was kind of funny after the fact, because, you know, I'm looking at my place and I have stuff that other people gave me, 
or they brought me or something over the fence and I gave them and we're all scattered kind of far apart. But, you know, there was no keeping tabs on what anyone did or whose chainsaw or whose gasoline or whose bottle of water. It was just, we all help each other. And that, that's a big part of the community we live in. And uh, that kind of helps us, you know, um, a lot, a lot. And, you know, like you said, we had to cancel some of our cowboy entrepreneur shows we were going to do. And I was going to be on this podcast and I was really looking forward to it, you know, and, and oh, yeah, we're going to be on a radio on. Yeah. Yeah. And I was so excited, you know, it was a great audience and, and, uh, uh, I gave the man our word, you know, so this was still early in it, but day three, day four, we were supposed to do it. Day three, I was thinking, how in the world can I keep my word? So I worked it out with the fire department. I was going to jump our fence and down, down toward the corner. So I wouldn't go across the electric lines and, uh, jump on their fire truck, go to the fire station, call in and do the show. Plus that would be kind of cool I, to talk about. I know you would have done that. I am glad that, you know, you still had cell service. So we were in touch and I oh, kind of re awesome. reorganize that for you a little bit. It worked out great. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. They ended up with two great interviews on Equestrian Legacy Radio. You can oh, hear yeah. Scott on that too. Um, Gary Holton, you had a fabulous interview and, you know, I know you've got a new friend there, but you've, okay, you've always inspired people with your positive words. But, you know, having to live it through it, something like this, um, you know, and actually sharing the experience is a big deal. So, well, thank you for letting me be the question person today. <laughs> absolutely. You did great. I'm telling you what, I appreciate you making it so easy for me. And, and you know, growing up in this Western lifestyle, you don't ever talk about, you know, struggles or how you had to fight through it. But, um I think it's important for people to know in case, you know, God forbid it happens to them one day and they know if I can do it, they sure can do it. And, uh, that's kind of the message. It's important to know that your neighbors, you know, to have a plan and do 20% more of whatever plan you have right now, because you just never know. And, uh, that's what we did for sure. But even, you know, knowing you, Scott, you know, it's been a while now. Um, you're resourceful. And I think that that's it to you. It's not that, you know, there may not be a way for something, but you'll come up with a solution. And I think yeah. that's what's really important. And that's something that people really benefit you know, when they hear you talk about these things like you have today and on some of your other experiences. It turns on a light. It's like, oh, I never thought of looking at things that way. And that's what's important. So Thank you. Well, anyway, it's the light working with you and... Um, I'm so glad you're back in the studio. <laughs> it, it's so much fun. And, you know, it's funny, man, when you're trapped for eight days, you can't leave. It, it's a different way, and it's survival. And I'll tell you one quick story is on day six, we knew the weather was supposed to get warmer. And uh, not from cell phones, but we knew the weather forecast way back. I took a print screen. I had it on my phone. I looked and said, tomorrow it's supposed to be 32. It might warm up a little bit. So we got shovels, and we put all this snow in the water troughs. And we're thinking if it gets to 32, maybe some of melt, that'd be water. Huh. And I'll be dang if another front didn't come through and it turned it into icebergs in each one. And uh, I had a, a, a pear burner, which is a, a, a propane what? tank. It's called a pear burner. And it's, okay. it, it's the coolest tool I think I have because it's a propane tank. It has a, it has a hose and it runs on propane and a long silver um, uh, bar out, coming out and it shoots fire. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and, and you burn cactus with it. It's what's called a pear burner. So I was going to melt the outsides of those metal water troughs. I already had ice and snow in it. That'd be perfect. It was so cold, the propane 
um, nozzles broke. So oh, we had to go to another plant after that, but it, it just, you just keep running into roadblocks, but you got to keep going until you find that opening and that's, what's going to get you through the day. So what'd you do? Don't leave us hanging. Uh, so we built a fire on our red granite which is a, where we park our cars and our trucks down there at the barn. It's red granite. It's like crushed limestone. And we built a fire. Actually, another guy did. You know, we built this fire, and it's, it, we um, put a pot. We melted ice, and we used that to water the horses at the end. So uh, we got a picture of that, too, I'll send you. But, um, you know, we just kept innovating until something worked, you know. So, um, well, you got to post that on your social media too. Right? I need to. I sure and, will. You know, well, yeah, I know. When you, as soon as you get the rest of these hang, tree limbs that are hanging around your house down and um, everything else taken care of, but people will appreciate that. And I know. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. KCAA Radio has openings for one hour talk shows. If you want to host,